mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello, and welcome back to Kinda Cute. And if you are new here, welcome. My name's Bailey Evan. I'm your host. And on Kinda Cute, we discuss articles from the cut and my general pop culture musings. Y'all, I am so sorry I missed last week. I really don't even have a good excuse other than that I am a lazy ass. Um, And the week just got away from me, to be honest, but I missed you all, and I hope you noticed I was gone. I know some of you did. Thank you, Tasha, for checking in on me. Again, I'm just a lazy ass. So let's get right into what we have this week. Uh, Sophia Franklin is back with her own podcast. Now, if you will recall, we did a little mini deep dive into the Call Her Daddy drama. And Sophia Franklin is the one who no longer is on Call Her Daddy and Alex Cooper does it by herself. So I think everyone was waiting for Sophia to come out and do her own thing. And she finally has. It's called Sophia with an F. And unfortunately, she just dropped the episode right before I was recording this so she dropped like the teaser yesterday but I haven't had a chance to listen to the full episode yet but it's called Sophia with an F it's with something called Salute Media which I'm guessing is something she started herself so I mean as far as a business move goes it's probably a good idea because if this is her own company and she can start her own podcast network that's going to be a huge moneymaker and it gives her way more autonomy than Alex has working under Barstool, even though I think they kind of let her do whatever the hell she wants because she brings in so much money to Barstool and is keeping people in jobs. But it will be interesting to see the feedback she gets from this, if people are excited to have her back, if people are skeptical, if she can get the kind of numbers that Call Her Daddy was able to get. I said it when I talked about it the first time, I think Call Her Daddy the reason it took off so much to begin with is because it was lightning in a bottle to a certain extent. And I think part of what made it that, and so many people would agree, was the relationship between Sophia and Alex. So having them solo, you know, it's just, it's interesting to see the trajectory both of them will take. Pivoting to something, well, I, I guess it does involve sex, much like Call Her Daddy does, and that is the fact that Catherine McPhee and David Foster are expecting a baby together. Oh, this relationship makes me so uncomfy because Catherine McPhee is younger than some of David Foster's children. Now, David Foster has woven a tangled web all over Hollywood that I can't even get into. But, you know, he used to be Brody Jenner's stepdad because he was married to Linda Thompson, who was Brody Jenner's mother. And I mean, there's things connecting him to so many people in Hollywood. Obviously, he was married to Yolanda Foster, mother of Gigi and Bella Hadid. And now he's married to Catherine McPhee. And I just, why are these people with old ass sperm still having babies? You know, women get so much shit for our fertility, but there are studies out there that saying old sperm can give you, you know, not that great of babies. So I think it's time for men to start getting a little shame for having some dried up sperm. And like that needs to be brought into the stratosphere a little more than it is right now. I'm just so weirded out that Erin Foster is going to have like a baby baby sister. And I'm sure she's going to take it in stride and make jokes about it. But I don't know. I just hate it. It makes me feel a little cringy inside. But let's speak of another baby that I am way more excited about. And that's the fact that Mindy Kaling gave birth to a little boy. Now, this was an article by Claire Lampin in The Cut. And she wrote, Kaling spilled the beans during an appearance on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert last night. And she said, I'm telling it for the first time now. It feels so strange, but I gave birth to a baby boy on September 3rd, she said. 
So it's just crazy because <laughs> like Stephen Colbert pointed out, no one knew that she was pregnant and she really did keep it hidden well. And she she mentioned that she was going to reveal it during the Met Ball, but obviously the Met Ball didn't happen this year. So she was kind of like, well, shit, I'm in quarantine, so might as well just keep the baby bump a secret a little bit longer. And she's just a fan of a surprise pregnancy. And I know it shouldn't matter, but just as I was very curious when Mindy had her first baby, who the daddy was, I want to know who the daddy of this one is. Like, this is making me all the more think this is a sperm bank baby, which really gives me hope for my own life. And, you know, I wonder if they have the same sperm bank daddy-o. I would think they probably do. So the Catherine's the little girl. She's like two or three now and then Spencer is the baby boy and I feel like it's interesting because these names are very royal family to me very English maybe they have some Indian roots to them too because (laughs) I don't know English colonialization but you know Spencer was obviously the last name of uh, Princess Diana before she was married and then you know Catherine is just like kind of a classic like English royalty name I feel like so I don't know. I I would love to know Mindy's reasoning behind this because I kind of thought she would name her kids something a little zany and fun and she's going a very, very classic route. So I don't know if we'll ever know who the daddy is. Maybe she doesn't know the daddy. Maybe it's just sperm number 1052, you know? I don't know. Um, And kind of good news, Claire Bronfman, who if you will remember is the Seagram's heir, I think, pretty sure we talked about her when we were talking about the Nexium cult. She was just sentenced to seven years in prison due to her shit she did with Nexium. So I thought that's good news because that is a trash entity. And I think I'm like one episode behind on the vow right now, but very excited to get back into it because I love that show. And some of the most exciting TV news I have heard in a while is that there is going to be a Witches, the Witches remake. It's going to be on HBO. The original book by Roald Dahl is one of my favorite books. I was such a Roald Dahl stand growing up. I know that's not unique or anything like who doesn't fucking love Roald Dahl, but I really did. Like one time I had to do a project where I like read his autobiography and I had to make a Roald Dahl thing out of a shoebox and he had like a peach for a head I mean it was pretty transcendent at the time let me tell you um but I just loved how kind of like subversive all of his books were and I've always loved stuff that's a little bit creepy I've been that way since I was a little kid I loved those scary stories to tell in the dark so the witches was a great one for me and I was obsessed with the movie like when the little boy gets turned into the mouse All I wanted was that little mouse, that little animatronic mouse. I wanted that as my pet. I wanted that in my pocket. I wanted to just nuzzle him in in my armpit. I wanted to bring him with me everywhere I went. And I was aware he was animatronic, but I really think it started my love of hamsters. And I think it, you know, it started my disposable hamsters phase where I went through like four hamsters in six years because of their very sadly short lifespan and I was just trying to relive that little animatronic mouse in the witches and it also really cemented to me as a young child that Angelica Houston was just like my idol I loved her as Morticia and the Adams family and then her character in the witches it was It was strange because I was terrified of her, but also wanted to be her. And I think it was one of the first times I really felt that way about a character I saw on TV. 
but I just I mean does anyone share this love of that movie with me I haven't seen it in a few years but it's plotted it's paced so well the storytelling the makeup the animatronics I love a physical prop I mean I could go on and on about that movie forever the acting the part where they eat the soup I mean I don't there's so many things in my memory that I watch that just become a blur and I never really think of again. So many scenes from that movie are just seared in my my hippocampus forever. Oh, I love it. I can't wait. I just don't know why you haven't mentioned the scene where they squish the mouse. Okay, you know, I'm not trying to scar anyone on my podcast. She's asked that, me why. That is what I always remember the most because that frightened me as a child. She's asking why I'm not mentioning the part where they squish the mouse and, like, the goo comes out. But, like, you know, I – it is a October, but, like, I was trying to keep it fun and fresh on a Friday night here. Um, but the one thing I'm a little skeptical about this remake is that Anne Hathaway is playing, I believe, Angelica Houston's character. She seems to be the main witch. And I just don't think Anne Hathaway – can pull off an Angelica Houston. And I mean, obviously I know she's going to give her own flair to it and her own feel to it, but you know, Anne Hathaway's greatest role is always going to be princess diaries. And you cannot change my mind about that. Like she was perfection in that role. And I, and I will be the first to admit that I think Anne is an amazing actress. I know everyone likes to shit on her and I do think she can come off as a little bit, um, I don't know the word, honestly, just Anne Hathaway-ish. And she's kind of known in person as like crying all the time. <laughs> like people will see her out and she'll just be crying. And she just strikes me as like that prototypical theater kid. <laughs> Again, we've been over this, no offense to you guys, but like it's a vibe. It's a type. It's kind of, it's kind of like how Taylor Swift is. Like I, I'm kind of shocked that Taylor Swift and Anne Hathaway don't have a really close friendship. Maybe it's because they're too similar because I really think they could like get down in their feelings and have a good cry together. And like, I just see them both really being into a Sauvignon Blanc, you know, that's the vibe I'm getting from that. Um, but yeah, I just think I'm, I'm interested to see how Anne plays this and I'm sure I'll love it. Like I, but again, if they start trying to use all CGI and no physical props, I'm not going to be into it. I hope that they retain that magic of the original. Okay. I could literally talk about the witches forever. So I'm going to move on to our first article of the day and it is how JLo looks so freaking good by Kathleen Howe. So I know I am broken record status at this point, but you guys know I love the account at Dumois on Instagram. It's D-E-U-X-M-O-I. If you haven't followed yet, she keeps it private, but I'm telling you it is so worth it. I hate those like meme accounts that keep themselves private so that when your friends send it to you, you feel pressured to follow them. This isn't because of that. This is because she's sharing real celebrity juice. People send in when they've spotted celebrities. They send in like their experience with celebrities. There's a lot of star fucking going on in there, which again, that's like part of the reason I would love to be a little Instagram thought, but you know, I can keep dreaming. I'll put it on my secret vision board. I have no shame. Anyways, so the fact that a, The Cut wrote a whole article about something that Dumois posted, I mean, obviously I had to cover that shit. It was like my two worlds combining in this perfect moment. And I saw this post that's referenced in this article when Dumois originally posted it. And it was a picture of what is allegedly J-Lo's beauty writer. 
And until that point in time, I had no idea that beauty writers were a thing, that they existed, that actresses ever employed them. And if you're not familiar with what a writer is, it's that thing that celebs team will like send ahead of time um, to a venue and it'll be like, I need 10 Red Bulls and I need my Skittles with the Red Skittles taken out and I need a bag of popcorn, you know, all the shit they need when they're performing somewhere. Now, when I first saw this picture of this alleged writer, because it's not exactly confirmed, like it's just people sending in a picture, you know, you you don't know. It's not like J-Lo herself is saying, yeah, this is my writer. So at first I thought it was a little far-fetched, but then I remembered how on this very podcast we talked about how J-Lo would apparently order roughly 250 Le Labo candles a week. And I just remember like talking about, well, what the hell is she doing with all those candles? Like the only thing I could think is that she was giving them in gift baskets. Like every person who came to her house, it was just a Le Labo goodie bag on the way out. Like, because if you burned 250 Le Labo candles in your house, I mean, the olfactory experience would just blow your fucking mind. But I guess J-Lo just excess is not a word to her she doesn't know her excess does not exist in JLo's mind and whatever she's doing it's working so obviously people getting a glimpse into what JLo maybe uses in her beauty routine like that popped off so let's peruse some of the things on it now it's it's very organized it's like an excel sheet and it's broken down into face products hair products bath and body products now, again, my confusion comes in when I'm like, well, why do we need this many hair products? She has Aribe or Arib, I don't know how to say it. The Goldlust Arib I've had on here, the conditioner as one of my legit shits. It's my favorite conditioner in the world. It is so absurdly expensive that I only buy it when it's for sale on tjmax.com. But it is life-changing. So she has from Aribe. Let me just list them off to you, okay? And this is only half of her hair products list. So... She has Rock Hard Gel, Gel Serum, Radiance Magic and Hold, Gold Lust Transformative Mask, Impermeable Anti-Humidity Spray, Superfine Hairspray, Superfine Strong Hairspray, Dry Texturizing Spray, Smooth Style Serum, Moisture and Hold, Airbrush Root Touch-Up Spray, Light Brown. Oh, excuse my, my alarm. Sorry about that. Uh, Curl by Definition Cream, Mask for Beautiful Color, Gold Lust Nourishing Hair Oil. Okay, that's just, just the Aribe products. Then from Caratisse, we have... Uh, a bunch of French things, um, but we have a shampoo, we have a conditioner, we have an oil, we have a rinse out, a treatment mask, a leave-in, a, a constructive something something, and an anti-frizz. That is literally only half of the hair list because she also has products from Bumble and Bumble, Redkin, Matrix, Olaplex. Oh, I also love Olaplex. She has number two and number three on there. I own both of those. Those are the shampoo and conditioner. No. Oh. It's the- oh, you're right. You're right. Number two is the one you can only get. So number one and two, you can get only from salons. Number three is like the classic Olaplex leave-in treatment. Sorry about that. And then she has L'Oreal Elnut Satin Hairspray. But I mean, can you imagine putting that many hair products in your hair? Her hair has bounce in life. There is no way she's putting that all in her hair. So I would like to think that this is maybe for her whole family, like the kids. Maybe they just all have different preferences. Uh, in the face products, we have Dr. Meckelberg, Dr. Hauschka, Dr. Lancer, La Mer, SkinCeuticals, something I can't read, a tart, the, their bronzing serum, 
some other things I can't read. Ardell Fashion Lashes, some eye drops, very, two different eye drops. Aquaphor. Oh, shit. She has Aquaphor Healing Ointment on there. That's another legit shit I had on here. That shit's great. Definitely. Like, if it's good enough for JLo, it's it's good enough for us. Um, so, again, the excess. And then in the Bath and Body products, we have La Ossetan. Now, under La Ossetan, she only has the Lavender Shower Gel and the Neroli and Orchidaire. But she should really get on the Almond um, Bath Oil, which was another legit shit. She's missing out on that. Then she has Joe Malone, also a gel and oil. Like, why do you need... For ju- like why then she has toka body wash um something i can't read G- gillette venus disposable razors which seems very low-key of her then we have through four categories of tanning things a long list of oral care and then something called ar which under that she has shampoo, Avita shampoo and gel, and then Gillette shave gel. Oh, this must be the men's section. So the men's section is literally four things long. All they get is a mint shampoo, a retexturizing gel, um, a shave gel, and a and a men's disposable razor. Do they even get conditioner? No, of course not. Men use like two in ones. They don't. They can't be bothered with conditioner. Um, and then the miscellaneous is nail polish remover, which that's also shocking to me because you know she has like a manicurist on call. So I just really, like now that this has come out, I need someone to explain to me why she needs that many hair products. Because the skin stuff is comparatively pretty low key. Her biggest section in skincare is from Dr. Lancer, which I have tried his polish. I honestly wasn't that impressed with it, but for some reason, celebs love Dr. Lancer. I think they must be getting some kind of kickback from getting his services and whatever, but I don't know. I just, I need answers. I will probably never get them, but a girl can dream. Next up, Emily in Paris made us hate sex, drugs, Paris, and Instagram by the cut. So this is like when they have a little group discussion, talk about things they like. So to give you a little recap about Emily in Paris, it's on Netflix. It's a 10 episode show. It's very bingeable, very light, very fluffy. It's about this social media girl named Emily. She works in Chicago and one day her boss gets pregnant and she's like, you're going to have to go to Paris and like take over my job and be their social media consultant at their French company so Emily's like okay and she just packs up her life and she moves to Paris for a year okay that's the general premise Darren Starr is the creator of the show and he produced Sex in the City 90210 Melrose Place and one of my personal favorites Younger and I said while I was watching this that it has a very younger vibe to it but it's just not as good but Did I lap it up like a bowl of ice cream? Like I do everything I talk about on this podcast? (laughs) You betcha. So let's get into what The Cut said. So Allison Davis, she's one of my favorite writers on The Cut. She says, that damn show, that damn show. Did I watch it in a day? Yes, but I was fueled by hate. How'd they make MDMA and hot sex look so lame? I never want to do drugs or have sex again. Yeah, there... Considering Darren Starr created this, I was like, this is the watered-down version of Sex in the City. I mean, there is this phone sex scene that is one of the most uncomfortable scenes I've ever watched on television. And I watched all of Sex in the City. And then Kathleen Howe says, the clothes were 
so bad, but maybe that was the point. And then my girl Sanjita said, I love the clothes. I love that they wear heels everywhere, including on cobblestones. I love her eyelet blouse and that she wears it for jogging. I love that she wore an Eiffel Tower blouse on her first day of work. So ugly, so earnest. Personally, I am charmed by this dumbass show. Sanjita, so am I. I'm so fucking charmed by it. And, you know, I was watching this and I straight up said to Kenzie, I go, Patricia Field would never, she would never allow this. This is an abomination. Guess what, guys? Patricia Field styled this damn show. Yep, she was the the costume person. And in Patricia Field fashion, I think she wanted to get the people talking. And I have to say that, you know, the, the true French people in the show, like Camille and Sylvie and the rest of the costuming in general is is perfect. It's very well styled. But Emily's clothes, though, oh my god. You can tell it's like trying to be in the vein of Carrie. And I'm also like, how does this bitch have 10 Chanel's, which is obviously what everyone thought about Carrie in her one article per week. Um, but Emily, as I've thought about it, and I've given it <laughs> too much of my mind space, now I realize what Patricia was doing. Patricia is someone is is realizing that Emily is someone who grew up watching Sex in the City and she wants to be Carrie and she is trying to emulate that style and do what she did but just can't quite pull it off. And when I realized that has to be the place she was coming from, I was like, "Wow, like Patricia, you did it again because you so pulled that off." <laughs> And then um, the social media media editor of The Cut says, okay, but why was every single guy charmed by Emily? All of them. And then Kathleen says, why is anyone charmed by Emily? I was like, wow, Americans are annoying. And that is the thing about Emily is that she's, she's not very likable. Like, and the fact that every amazingly 10 out of 10 hot man was literally groveling at her feet. I mean, she was just finding these people out of the woodwork. Her neighbors were hot. The people sitting next to her at dinner were hot. Every man she worked with was hot. If they weren't, if they weren't hot, they were gay. And I mean, the gay, there's some gay hot people too, but every straight man was literally like down to lick Emily's toes. Like there was no in between here. And I again I just didn't get it and Kenzie was like is this just to show that like Europeans like Americans but I don't think that was it I think they just wanted it to seem like Emily's that classic trope of like oh she's so clumsy and like she can't say this is how she would pronounce bonjour guys it was like bonjour like how I just pronounce like I can't pronounce French words she would have been saying like Ghislaine Maxwell you know, like she couldn't, like she's apparently taking French classes, but by the end of it, she's like, bonsoir. And it's like, honey, you know, they don't pronounce the R. What are you doing? <laughs> so to keep this Emily in Paris train going, let's get into our next article, which is Meet Your New French Boyfriend by Carenza Cadenas. So I would say, if I'm speaking for the general female population here, that most people's favorite part of Emily in Paris is Chef Gabriel, who is played by Lucas Bravo. And the cut somehow got an interview with him, and it's very charming because he says that after filming Wrapped, he went to visit Ashley Park, who plays Emily's BFF, Mindy, and throughout this interview, he just says that him and Ashley were just, like, inseparable, like, they became so close. So he visited her in New York right before the quarantine shutdown, and they frolicked around NYC, and they saw Harry Potter, and they saw Hamilton and Mean Girls, and I've seen two of those, and wow, Harry Potter, magnifique. 
So excellent choices. I'm still dying to see Mean Girls. So then Carenza asks what we really want to know. And she says, are you a Sex in the City person? And he says, I'm glad that I can now wear it on my sleeves and tell the world that I'm a fan. When I was younger, I was binge watching it. All my guy friends were like, why are you watching this? You shouldn't be watching it. And I would tell them, you know, there's so much information. You should educate yourself. And this is so cute. He says that he took the Sex in the City tour when, I, when he went to New York. Like, you know, he got a little Magnolia cupcake. Oh, I love it. So... Now that we have learned a little bit about Lucas, am I the only one seeing that he is a way hotter army hammer? Which to me makes it all the more hilarious that there is a character in this that Emily also hooks up with that is called Timote. So I I would venture to guess that Darren is a Call Me By Your Name fan. And frankly, I'm slightly disappointed that there wasn't a scene with giant peaches hanging from the ceiling or something just to really secure the fact that that's what he was going for. And also in this interview with The Cut, he Lucas says that he is an Aiden if he had to pick who he was in Sex and the City. So he basically knows how to win over a basic-ass Emily in Paris watching Ho like myself. So work it, honey. And then he says he has a little belly. He's just trying to humble himself, which I'm skeptical that he has a little belly, but I like the humbleness. And then at the end, they ask, what are some books and bands that you love? And he says, I would say my favorite book is called The Ice People in English, which is not a really good translation. It's La Nuit de Tintin. I made that up. I have no idea if that's how it's said uh, in French. It's a beautiful story about an expedition in the Antarctic, and they find a golden sphere underneath the ice with a frozen couple. Just read it and tell me about it. Now you have homework after this. And guys, if I wasn't in love already, that just really sealed the deal for me. You know I love giving homework. If anyone reads it, please report back. All right, on to our last article of the day, because in case you haven't watched Emily in Paris, well, A, you need to go watch it, and B, I'm sorry for the last 15-minute rant I went on, but moving on to something I feel like everyone listening knows about, and that is Brad Pitt, and it's called Who Knows How Many Fake Brad Pitts May Be Out There by Claire Lampin. So this is a story about a Texas woman. Her name's Kelly Christina. And um, she thinks that Brad Pitt scammed her. So Kelly, she filed a lawsuit against Brad Pitt, saying that he scammed her out of roughly $40,000 by skipping out on the events she organized for his Make It Right Foundation. In 2018, according to Page Six, Kelly, a healthcare executive, was approached by someone she believed to be Pitt. And she says that she entered into a business agreement with specific terms and conditions. And basically what the conditions said was that she would plan these charitable occasions and then Brad Pitt would attend them. But she says he failed to show up five times, but someone who was claiming to be Brad Pitt still collected the speaking fee. And each time he was like, well, don't worry. Next time I will 100% be there, baby. (laughs) Now, (laughs) Claire writes, maybe you are wondering how this same situation managed to happen five times without, you know, arousing her suspicions a little bit. But she says they had discussions of marriage. So as Claire says, maybe she was blinded by love and just chose not to focus on some of the unsavory truths that were going on. Now, attorneys for the actual real-life Brad Pitt, uh, who's actually still married to Angelina Jolie, technically, 
they have filed their own motion denying Christina's claims and, and sorry, Kelly Christina's claims. And <laughs> they say that Kelly appears to have been catfished by one or more individuals unlawfully posing as Pitt. And it says, by Kelly's own admissions, the communications she now alleges to have had with Mr. Pitt were actually between plaintiff and one or more individuals posing as, in plaintiff's words, fake Prad Pitts and not in any way affiliated with the Make It Right Foundation. But Kelly says she has 113 pages of organized discovery to support her story. And she says, this lawsuit is important for the country, so I will continue to fight Brad Pitt. Now, guys, what do you think about this? Like, is this lady just delusional? Were these Brad Pitt impersonators really looking that much like Brad Pitt? Was she just having communications with them over the internet so that it was like way easier for them to catfish her? Because I feel like there's definitely some probably good fake, uh, deep fakes, you know, where they like put the face of Brad Pitt over their real face. I feel like that's floating around out there. Um, and to just be fully transparent with you guys, I slurred a little bit through that last story because I had to take a break to go to dinner and then I had one too many margaritas and honestly, me trying to record this at 1041 is not my most shining moment, but damn it, I was getting an episode up this week, guys. So I hope you had fun and of course, there is a legit shit. Uh... My best friend, Elena, she does reviews of the Taylor Swift albums, other albums. I've talked about it before. We had her as a guest on here. She was like my very first guest when I didn't even have two microphones and the audio was complete shit. Um, but I love her review so much. I honestly wish I could just spend a whole episode reading it all. And it's extensive. The one this for this album for Folklore is 26 pages long. But she talks about just trying to cure everything with lavender. So it really inspired me to share something that I've been loving over quarantine. And I can't believe I haven't had it on here yet. And it's Dr. Teal's Melatonin and Essential Oil Sleep Foaming Bath Soak. It's just basically a bubble bath. But, you know, it's made by the dude who makes all those like Epsom salts. And it's super cheap. It's like $5 at Target. Uh, I will link the Target version. But you can get on Amazon. You can get at Walmart. You know, anywhere like that. Walgreens. Dwayne Reed. If that's if that's your vibe. Uh, and I think it's just really relaxing. And everyone should take a bath these days. If you have a bath. And you can do that. If not, just buy a thing. And like squirt some out in your shower. And just let it waft up to you. Again, I'm sorry I was gone. I missed you guys. I'm glad to be back. And I will see you next week for real. Bye.